0: Who can you trust? Who can you count on? Now, I know. This is Sunday. We're Christians. We're in church. We all know the answer to that. The answer, of course, is God. We can trust God. We can count on God. Perhaps a better question is how can you know? That God will fulfill his promises to you. Abraham hadn't heard from God for 12 years. He had been living for 12 years in a situation in the consequences of his own rebellion. He saw Ishmael growing up. There was domestic strife. I look around, you are people that I care a great deal about. And I know a fair amount about your lives. And some of you are hurting this week. Maybe many of you are hurting. Has it been how many years since you first became a Christian? It was 25 years since God called Abraham out of the land of Ur. He still hadn't received the promises. Do you ever feel like God is silent in your life? How can you know that God will fulfill His promises to you? This morning I will look at the life of Abraham and have two simple points. You can know that God is faithful and will keep his promises to you because, one, the promises themselves and the God who gives them, and, two, the oath. Two points, promises and oath. Let's look at, at chapter 17 for the promises. Well, we'll look at all the life of Abraham. In verse 17, notice that he starts off by, God says, Yahweh. Yahweh appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Elohim. Yahweh is that word that actually God gives to Moses many years later. It means the self-sufficient one. I am that I am. I exist before anything and I will last beyond anything else. Whatever I am, whatever I want, I am that I am. I am the all-powerful one. If you're going to put your trust in something, that sounds like a pretty good person to put your trust in. I am. But he goes on to say, I am Elohim, the almighty one. The one who is strong enough to be able to accomplish whatever he says he wants to accomplish. Can you hear me with this all right? In the back. I do have a loud voice. What God says will happen, will happen. That's what it means to call himself El Shaddai. So God comes as Yahweh, God comes as El Shaddai, and says, This is what I'm going to do for you. Okay? What does he do? What is, what's his promise? If you look with me down in verse. Try that. There you go. Okay. I have to work on that thing. God says, "Behold, verse four of chapter seventeen. My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations." God promises Abraham he would have children. He would have lots of children. There, through the ages, would be multiple. There would be a nation, a people that draw their life from. Abraham. So that's first. He promises a people. Secondly, if you look up in verse 8, he promises a land. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. So the second promise is land. Third promise is God's presence and blessing himself. Again, verse 8. I will be their God. I am God Almighty. I will bless you. Those three things. We'll see it again and again. People, land, God's presence. Let's go back to Genesis 12, where God first gives that promise. We find the same three things. Chapter 12, when God calls Abram, and I'll flip-flop between Abram and Abraham. It's the same person, obviously. It just, your name gets changed partway through the story. He says to Abram, I, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great number of people. There will be a people who call you their father. Number two, secondly, he promises over in verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring I will give this land. The third promise is that he would be with Abraham. Second half of verse uh, 7. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. The three same three things, God promised Abraham a people, a land, and himself and the blessings of his presence. Go over to Genesis 15, a third time. You think God maybe wants him to get it? Genesis 15, in verse 5. And he brought Abram outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. So God says, I will give you a people. And they will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. The point there is the numbers. When you go out tonight, go ahead and count the stars. Uh, Secondly, in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then in verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse 1, the third, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram, Fear not, Abram, I am, which is a derivative for where we get the word Yahweh, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So again, we see these three promises. God said to Abram three times, Why so many? What's the significance? So what? You ever thought about that? Why those three promises? Why the people? Why the land? Why his presence? There's a very good reason. Remember the garden? What was God's original plan, purpose for his people? There would be a people. Made in God's image. Who lived together. And yes, they were holy. They were without sin. They were also compassionate. They were kind. They were loving. In the garden, had that continued on, would have been a community of people who loved each other and walked with each other and blessed each other. And oh, they would have told the kids stories. It would have been a marvelous time among God's people. Secondly, there was a land, paradise. You can't get any better land than that. And third, God would be there with them. He would walk with them. Understand that prior to the fall, prior to the the curse, God had a specific environment, plan, what do you want to call it, Where God would dwell with his people, they would dwell among themselves, and they would live in the land. It would be great. The curse came and destroyed it. What is God doing to Abraham? He's saying, Abraham, I am going to reverse the effects of the curse. You lost People, they were, they were no longer a family, they were divided. There was, the land was not there, the blessings of God. God says, I'm gonna reverse the land, the, so when God comes, what he's saying to Abraham here, when, when Moses wrote this passage, or when God spoke to Abraham, he was telling what it meant to Abraham, was Abraham, I am going to reverse the effects of the curse, and I'm gonna do it through you. Moses wrote about it and what he meant for the Israelites to get was God is with you. He took you out of the land of Egypt and he blessed you as a people and gave you the promised land. What about today? Why is it in the scripture today? What does God want us to get from this? Go over to Galatians. Galatians chapter three, beginning at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham, people, land, God's presence, The blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In Ephesians, it talks about you are now citizens together. You are built one to another. You are a people. Look around. The care and the love that is within this body. This is a fulfillment, a reversal of the curse, if you will. God has promised you a people. Not only a people here, but right now in the western United States, there are believers meeting everywhere, worshiping the Lord. They are a part of your family. You are not alone. And and the land, what does Jesus say? I'm going to prepare a place for you. A land, a new heavens and a new earth. And what about God's presence? I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, turn over there to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is nothing less than God saying, I am going to reverse the effects of the curse back in Genesis. Matthew 28, we all know it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make people. Make people who will follow me. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Go out into the land. Teach. Make a people that inherit the land. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the gospel right there. It's the gospel in Genesis. I don't think there's a better description of the gospel in the Old Testament than in these passages in Genesis. God says, I will reverse the effect of the curse. Okay, we have the promises. What about the oath? Lord words, words. And then you look at the oath. To Genesis chapter fifteen. A most terrifying dark passage. What does it mean? Beginning at uh, verse uh, 8. O Lord God, how am I to know, or other translations say, how can I know? The Hebrew can go either way. How can I know that I will possess it, that I will be given these? God says, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He doesn't tell him what to do with it. Abraham already knows what to do with it. What's going on here? Well, it's hard for us to understand because we don't live 4,000 years ago. But here's a spot where science, history, archaeology has helped us out. We have discovered, over the last hundreds or years, hundreds, literally thousands of documents that explain exactly what's going on. Let me explain it this way. When you want to buy a house, you go down to the bank, you sign on a piece of paper with a pen, or today you go online and you have this with your fingers. Do you ever do that? Isn't that weird? That's your signature. And you sign it electronically. And basically what you're saying is, I promise I will pay this loan back. If I don't, you may come and take away this house. Take away my house. Okay, that's not good. But what if I said to you, look, if I don't pay this loan back, you can kill me. You can cut me in two. You can put me on the middle of the street and let the birds come and devour me. That's what they did in the time of Abraham. They would make a covenant, an agreement. And in Hebrew, to make a covenant means to cut a covenant. And what they would do, the two parties who wanted to make an agreement would come, they would take an animal, cut it in half, spread it out on the ground, and say, may it happen to me if I don't fulfill the covenant. The, The agreement, the terms of this. So Abraham knew that. And then a deep, deep sleep fell on him. A dreadful and great darkness. And then the Lord said, said to him, No for certain. So Abraham was pretty sure he knew what was going to happen next. He was wrong. Speculated. I knew he knew what was going to happen almost always when two parties would make a covenant, whether it 's two people or let 's say two nations, the weaker nation, the weaker party would walk through the dead animals. if i don 't fulfill my terms of this agreement, you, O great king, may slay me, or sometimes rarely. If the two parties were peers, they both would go through the animals together. But never would the greater party go through alone. And that's exactly what God does. Abraham was stunned in this dark, terrible, horrific scene. He sees this pot. This flaming pot go through the split animals. Now, the Hebrew for this the flaming pot, it's a little difficult to, to translate, but it's very easy to understand. It's used in, when, when Moses takes the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, they are led by what? Flaming fire and a cloud of smoke. That's the same Hebrew word. Or when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and the people of God come around the mountain and what do they see? Flames and fire. It's severe. It's terrible. And they are frightened. And they say, Moses, you go. That's the word that is used here. This horrible, terrible darkness comes and this flaming torch goes between the animals. What is God saying to Abraham? I think it's pretty clear. Abraham, if I don't fulfill the terms of this agreement, if I don't fulfill the terms of giving you people, land, and my presence eternally, I will die for you. But there's still a problem Covenants were made between two parties. God is saying, Abraham, I'm not going to lie to you. I will do this. And do you really think Abraham is going to say, well, God, I really, I, I'm, I don't need to be convinced. God, you're not going to lie. If you were to see God today, this afternoon, if he were to appear to you, would you say, oh, God, I don't trust you? I wouldn't. God is God. I, Lord, I trust your word. But the problem is the other party of the covenant. Abraham's thinking as we think. What if God keeps his end of the bargain, but I don't keep mine? What if after all my promises to live right and to go to church and to bless people, and bless the poor, bless my wife, serve my wife as Christ served the church. I make all those promises. But what happens, Lord, if someday I blow it? And you're going to say to me, God, Whoa, that's it. I'm done with you. I gave you all these chances, and you continue to blow it. I'm out of here. What does God say to Abraham? He says, no, no, Abraham. Let me explain it this way. If I don't fulfill the terms of the covenant, I will walk through this horrible darkness through death for you. And if you don't fulfill the purpose, if you don't fulfill the terms of the covenant, I will walk through the shadow, the burning darkness and die for you. Let that sink in. This is the gospel. In Genesis 15, this is the gospel. I don't know if there's a clear description. God says, whether you are, if you fail, if you fall short, yet for you, I will die. So what are you going to do? Who can you trust? How can you know when you've had a really hard week? You've had a loved family member laid to rest. Those are hard times, folks. Most of us know that. We know it in our mind that God is good and God is faithful. God is just. What about when we're suffering? I don't think a lot of us suffer too much, but we do suffer in some ways. In the midst of our suffering, let me take a better example. When you're living your life and you feel like God is silent, what am I doing here? Are you there, Lord? Can I trust you, God, when I don't see or hear you in my life? What did I tell the children? When I'm tempted, and this is the hard one, when I know what God wants me to do, but nobody's going to see it, I just like God, it's no big deal. Do I trust the fact that God's presence is better than that pleasure that I'm looking for at that moment? Do I trust God? How can I trust God? If God himself, hanging on the cross, walked through that darkness, look in Mark, look in the Gospels, a great darkness. I was talking about some of the hymns we sang this morning, talked about darkness. In the midst of that darkness, Jesus Christ walked through death. When he did, the curtain on the temple tore that which kept us from the Holy, from God's presence was ripped from top to bottom. And then he was raised from the dead. Who can you trust? Let's take it all the way back. Do you see evidence in your life of the curse? Do you see things in your life that are a result of the fall of mankind? Sure. We all do. You have to go to work Monday morning, right? Work is not really a lot of fun sometimes. When you see the effects of the fall in your life, and you struggle with that, What should you do? Kids, what should you do? That's right. Jesus died. And more than that, was raised from the dead. Lord bless you. I I do care for all of you. And how I long for you to fall deeply in love with Jesus Christ. I know we get a lot of very good odds. We have to do this, we have to do that. We don't always do it. I want you to be so in love with Jesus Christ because of what he did for you, what he did for Abraham. (sighs) Even so, come quickly, Lord.